Greetings, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 51. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. It's a little bit late, but um, um, so glad you could join us at 10 p.m. at a different time. Um, if it were up to me, I'd do the show as late as possible. Um, I used to work a lot of overnight shifts, and I'm a big Art Bell fan because of that. And um, I love the nighttime radio kind of deal. And so the more it feels like that, the better. Um, but I know on the East Coast, it's tough for everybody to join us as late as 10 p.m. or even later. I think the Art Bell show starts at like 1 a.m. or something. Um, but Courtney Campa, today's guest, um, much anticipated guest, is um, teaches a class every um, Tuesday night. So I had to do it a little bit later, but I'm so glad that you could have it. <laughs> Jessica says, Jessica Dawson says, let's have it at midnight. Never sleep anyway. Yeah, me neither. That's the thing. I love the late night. So um, um, before we begin, I should say Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit. We are working to promote the practice of poetry and unaffiliated with any other organization. Um, if you enjoy what we do, all we ask is that you click the like button and um, subscribe on YouTube or wherever you're listening or watching this broadcast and um, make sure that you're following it and you click the notification bell and all that stuff and tell your friends that this is a good time through poetry. So um, Courtney just finished her class, so we're going to kind of kill a little bit of time here. And I thought for the warm-up poem, I laid out a few of my favorite uh, Poets Respond poems, and I thought we would start with that. So um, this is one of the, I think this is, this is um, Megan Collins, After the Memorial, and this was, I think, the fourth poem that we published, maybe the fifth, from uh, the Poets Response series way back in June, uh, June 29th, 2014. And um, this is a poem. I'll read you what it's about. Um, Megan Collins says, I wrote this poem in response to a local tragedy in which a teenager, Austin Totkus of Ellington, Connecticut, was killed in an ATV accident. On Tuesday of this week, there was a memorial in which people gathered to let go of balloons filled with messages they had written for the boy. The idea of this tribute moved me, and I wondered what would happen to those messages. Uh, where would they end up once the balloons popped? In writing this poem, I imagined a kind of healing end to that story, both for those who knew Totkus and those who didn't but are similarly affected by their own personal heartaches. And so I love this poem. It's the first poem that really made me cry reading it on the submissions. It's such a beautiful tribute. And then the other cool thing about this poem by Megan Collins is... Um, that the family of the boy who died um, found this poem and um, and loved it and, and reached out to Megan and um, I think used it as part of the memorial. So here is uh, Megan Collins' poem, After the Memorial. After the Memorial. It's an elegant thought sending messages to heaven. So they gathered on the football field, slipped into balloons the words they might have otherwise written in his yearbook. They used their functioning, unpinned lungs to inflate those bubbles of color, then held each tied end tightly before finally letting go. Candles in their hands, they watched the balloons drift farther away, the distance becoming as massive as the impossibility of an accident had been. People lingered as long as the light allowed, then, in huddles of arms and bowed heads, turned away, the flames and sunset burnt out. But balloons, fragile as bodies, burst when they get too high. 
and the next morning a woman working in her garden miles away from the field found, I never told you this, but I love you. It was nestled in the petals of hydrangea, and she stared at the note like the handwriting was something she remembered. There was also a girl, pigtailed and proud of her chalk drawings, who glimpsed a white scrap in the grass. You're the kind of person I always wanted to be, but I was afraid. She was too young to understand the words, so her mother, home now after a double, read them aloud, her breath catching. And the boy's father, who sat on his front porch, barely seeing the lawn laid out in front of him, only felt the note as the wind dropped it on his feet. You were so much stronger than I ever was. You were beautiful and brave and alive. Impossible as the fact that he'd had to plant his son like a seed in the earth, here were his own words, sent back from the sky. Again, that was Megan Collins uh, reading her poem after the memorial from uh, Poets Respond, one of the very first poems we published um, over six years ago now with Poets Respond. Um, and Megan Collins is um, author of The Winter Sister. She teaches creative writing in Connecticut, where she lives, and is the managing editor of Three Elements Review. Um, I think we have time for one more of these poems I pulled out really quick. Now, my second favorite poem, I think, although it's hard to, it's hard to write poems like this, but another poem I thought I'd pull out is this. Of course, Zena Hashimbeck was winner of the first Rattle Chapbook Prize, and um, this is a poem that we published um, a year later, on September 6, 2015, this is Ghazal back home, and it would end up um, added after the fact to um, her Rattle Chapbook Prize collection, Arabi Song. Uh, but this is submitted for Poets Respond and written in one week, which is just amazing. This is a beautiful um, Ghazal. This is Ghazal back home by Zaina Hashem Beck. Tonight a little boy couldn't walk on water or row back home. The sea turned its old face away. Again, there was a no, no, back home. Bahar is how we were taught to measure poetry. Bahar is how we've stopped trying to measure sorrow. Back home. All that blue is the sea. And it gives life, gives life, says God to the boy standing wet at heaven's gate. Does he want to return? To go back home? My friend who hates cooking has made that eggplant dish. Says nothing was better than yogurt and garlic and tomato. Back home. On the train tracks, a man shouts, Hold me, hold me, to his wife. Bites her sleeve as if he were trying to tow back home. Thirteen-year-old Kinan with the big eyes says, We don't want to stay in Europe. Just stop the war. Just stop the war, he repeats as if praying, Grow, grow back home. Habibi, I never thought our children would write, Help us on cardboard. Let's try to remember how we met years ago. Back home. On our honeymoon, we kissed by the sea, watched it rock the lights, the fishing boats to and fro. 
back home. And once again, that was Zaina Hashembek uh, reading her poem Back Home um, about the Syrian refugee crisis uh, from September 2015. And um, you can check out that poem and uh, many more in her book, Arabi Song. Um, just go to Rattle's Chaplick page, you know, find that. Um, I thought it was a good transition, too, because our prop for the week is um, 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 write poems in a form you haven't tried before. So so a bunch of people sent in poems. We have a whole bunch of um, people lined up, ready to go after we talk to Courtney Campa um, to share their poems about some kind of new forms that they've never done before. And um, if you would like to do that, I'm putting this up on the screen uh, right now, open mic at rattle.com, all one word or or is how you how you spell it, open mic at rattle.com. Email the poem there so I can show it on screen. And then you can call in uh, at 818-850-7727 or uh, send me a chat message over Skype at Rattle Poetry, all one word. Um, if you call, let it ring a few times. I'll call you back when the time is right. If you uh, use Skype, just send me a chat message really quick and I will call you when it's your turn. Um, so that's after the show in about an hour. But now Courtney Campa is coming up. And... Um, Courtney Campa is maybe the most requested poet we've had for the Rattlecast. Um, we started publishing her, I think it was maybe 2012. Um, she was a finalist for that Rattle Poetry Prize. Then she was a finalist five more times for the Rattle Poetry Prize. Um, she was a winner of the Reader's Choice Award once. And um, people keep saying, like, who is this Courtney Campa person? And I've wondered the same thing. Um, and she has a book out now, Our Lady of Not Asking Why, um, which was selected by uh, National Book Award winner Mary Sibsist for the New Issues Press. Uh, her works has received awards and distinctions from Best New Poets, Poets and Writers Magazine, The Atlantic, and others. She's a Ruth Lilly finalist and received her MFA from Columbia University and was a Wallace Stegner Fellow at Stanford from 2017 to 2019. Uh, she currently lives and teaches poetry, writing in Nashville, Tennessee. I think right now she's in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. But here she is. Let's call her up, uh, Courtney Campa. So the phone is ringing. Usually I have people on the line ahead of time, but Courtney had a class ahead of time. Hello, Courtney. Can you hear me? Hi, I can hear you. Great. Well, good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the Rattlecast today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my this is pleasure. A thrill. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to have you. Um, as I said, I don't know if you I don't think you heard the introduction, but you were the most requested poet I think that we've had. Um, every time I post one of your poems, people someone says you should have Courtney on the Rattlecast, and so uh, now we have you. Uh, people wonder, and I wonder too, um, who you are and 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 where you come from, kind of because. Um, um, you started winning the or being a finalist for the Rattle Poetry Prize a long time ago, and and kept being a finalist over and over again. It was kind of amazing. Like you're like the poetry prize queen or something. Um, so so I'm the bridesmaid. Yeah, I guess the bridesmaid. <laughs> but you did win the Reader's Choice Award. So um, yeah. <laughs> um, so so do you want to start out maybe reading a poem and then um, and then we'll talk a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Get my book. Get my book. What poem would you like? Oh, anything you want. Whatever read? a good poem to start with would be. Oh my gosh! All right. Um, well, let's see. I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> I thought um, maybe 
the uh, poem that kept me from publishing the book uh, for a long time because I was waiting for it to happen to me. Oh, really? Interesting. Well, you have to tell um, me about that. After it's a love poem. Okay. And I knew that I needed a, a real, actual, earnest love poem before I wanted this book to go out into the world. So um, I had the title already, but I waited for it to happen to me, and then it did. And what, what page is it on? Um, it's called Skin and Other Weapons, and it's page 56. Okay. Skin and Other Weapons. You worry me, jumping out the shower so quickly. Contrails of soap in your wake to where I'd fallen. Smallest glaciers down your neck, your ears, your wet lashes gathered into spears, turning my foot over in your hands. Twenty-six bones like a loose bundle of sticks, the underside so dirty, I'd never in my right mind let you see. Debris picked up off the kitchen floor, the way a room will stay a while on your skin. The way this morning... We broke eggs against the stove to watch them shiver in the pan. The coffee grinder's two blades set half an inch apart, as if afraid of wounding each other. Your body goosebumped, tending mine. Your clothes a heap in the hall. Socks balled up on the bathroom door. At the bathroom door, my stray blondes laced into their soles, as if stitching me to you. And you holding out your hand for the sterilized pin as if to say, give me something to hurt you with. And I do. Head thrown back, like watching the surgery channel when a doctor mid-incision tells the camera that in cases such as these, the best way to the heart is through the spine. How you flinch whenever I do. At the wrong angle, tenderness sometimes gets a hold of. Asking, is it here or here or here? Shrapnel too small to claim a weight or color or shape. How little love is. How worth everything. So how would you describe what the book is about? Um, it's an interesting series of poems, I think. Um, uh, to me, it felt kind of about coming of age and through love and, and beauty in the world. Um, but how would, you, how would you put the book? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a kind of like... Of, of a reckoning about what the definition of beauty was. And it was a reckoning of what it meant to be a woman, what it meant to be a sister, um, what it meant to be related to someone versus not related, but still feel so um, completely enmeshed and in tandem and involved. Um, it was a lot about religion, mostly about sisterhood and religion and this fascination that I had with um, with uh, the Blessed Mother and um, with what kind of role a maternal figure has with people, both with spirituality and also in real life and that kind of thing. I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> no, that's good. I just, I just like setting people up and then having them, them talk for a while. Um, Vicky Miko asked if you could explain the title. And I was wondering maybe if you could read the poem um, that the title comes from and then maybe talk a little bit about that because the, the religious, the spirituality angle is interesting too. Yeah, that's ours Biologica. Um, do you want me to read it or explain it first? Uh, whichever you think is better, but um, yeah. 
No, I'll read it first. Okay. Let me just find it. Yikes. Yikes, McGee. Uh, 46. Okay, Ars Biologica. Yeah, yeah thank you. Page 46. Um, Ars Biologica. And this is um, off of the sort of the idea of like an Ars Poetica, which is, you know, a self-portrait, basically. But um, playing off that off that trope. Um, for my sister Grace. Forgive me for forgiving her, your birth mother. I am unforgiving, unless for selfish reasons, and it seems my reasons are as selfish as they come. I'm trying to say that I am thankful for your grief. Thankful at least that it keeps you here, where daily your cheekbones bend a little higher toward the stuff Mongolian bridges were inspired from. And little woman, or soon woman, I can feel you growing through our floorboards, bones lengthening in your torso, skin whipped by an upwind gust of prepubescence. And today I bought three bottles of nail polish you like from CVS. Hughes called Not Really a Waitress, Plasma, and if you've got it, haunt it. And although I mostly bought the last one for myself, I bought all three for you in reparation for last week's purchase. Me so happy with this color, which I painted on your toes and still feel bad about. You know by now, not all of us are Irish. I know by now you knew all along why Aunt Donna gave you Asian Barbie dolls for Christmas. Why? When you ask mom buckling your car seat, did I come out of your tummy? She said, Grace, you came straight from my heart and then got really quiet. According to your recent Google history, there are lots of questions you aren't asking. And that's probably my fault since you don't ask questions the same way I don't. When I don't know exactly how exactly to respond and all of us learn exactly by example. For example, the drugstore cashier on 106th is from a town three miles from your own, and all I ever say is wave goodbye. Or that with only sisters, I don't know how to talk about a brother. Yours. He's probably with her right now, closing their front door shut to the cold, turning soap in his hands. Keep him around is a purplish polish I used on you last month. Your sticky palms quiet on my knees. Your fingernails shaped differently than mine. The family rosary going on and on around us. This family like an afterworld. Our Lady of Loss. Our Lady of Is There Something Fixable Inside Us? I can't see your mother, but I can see you hate yourself for wanting her. Forgive me for forgiving her, for giving you away. Mothers are never a metaphor for something else. Our Lady of teaches that having been loved badly is not the same as being unloved. Our Lady of not asking why. The broken heart has need for other hearts broken differently. But one sister in ruin ruins the other sisters identically. There are days when your footsteps out our kitchen and up the stairs, carry you to places I can't find you. 
Nights when they outline your body, peach hot, fevers into your sheet. When they outline your body, peach hot, fevers into your sheet, looks nothing like your own. The past should go away, but never does. It bangs inside us like an extra heart, though it is not. It is not at all like that. Yeah, and that was ours, Biologica, um, from... Our Lady of Not Asking Why. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I was, um, oh, actually, you were going to talk a little bit about about the religious undertones in the title. So um, I don't want to cut you off there. Um, can you explain a little bit about that for Vicky Mika? Well, if you hold that thought, yeah, I'll, I'll, it's a quick, it's a quick thing. It was just something that my mother said. My mother is so is so beautiful and um, so religious. And um, and wonderful. And so she one time was upset about something, and she had said um, because there's this idea in in the Catholic canon um, where there's a litany of like Our Lady of you know, and so it's this it's this repetition, which actually is so like so right in line with poetry. And she had said, I know we're not supposed to ask why. And I was so struck by the faith and the beauty of that statement. And also just the fact that I was writing poems that all it was doing was asking why, 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 why. And so it's, I didn't mean it in like a tacky irony, but Our Lady of Not Asking Why was sort of like this implication of, all I'm doing in these pages is interrogating um, life, um, but but at the same time have this like have this stronghold on faith, and um, I'm not supposed to be doing so. But it was just it was just this, this beautiful question she asked, and I was just like, oh my gosh! Like I want to create my own kind of litany of like Our Lady of this. Our Lady of this, Our Lady of this, because um, that's just how I've seen it played out. That's a really weird answer for <laughs> something I've never had to really answer before. <laughs> no, that's great. It's kind of like the the patron saint of um, answering questions or something, which is what almost like what poetry is. That's what such a fascinating title too, because it's sort of like poetry explores the things that we don't quite understand, and um, and so sort of our lady of, of not asking why, um, sort of the, the saint of all that, the saint of poetry, maybe. So that's pretty cool. Um, one of the things that I, um, I, I was reading through the book thinking about, um, why you keep ending up being like at the top of the big rattle poetry prize list of poets. And the thing that, that jumped out again, comparing all the poems together is your sense of, um, the way you move through a poem, there's a very sort of a, a leaping sort of, you never know where you're going. And then you pull out these amazing lines. Like um, in that poem, just the, um, the past should go away, but it never does. It bangs inside us like an extra heart, though it is not. Um, what, what is your writing process like? Like, do you, um, I, I always feel like the um, process of writing is sort of like, like finding a way to let go and let your subconscious speak a little bit. 
And, um, and I feel like great lines like that come out of the subconscious somehow. That's always been my opinion talking to poets over the years. Um, is that how it works for you? And, and, and how do you go about like moving through a poem? Um, do you do a lot of revision? Uh, what's your, your process like? I do, I do a ton of revision. I, I sit with a poem for probably a good month and get so much valid, like so much gratification from just the move, the movement of, of, of like a line break or a misplaced comma and that kind of thing. But honestly, um, um, you know what this reminds me of is, um, when I was at Columbia, the late Lucy Brock Broido, she had this theory, and I've, I've told my students about this every time I get a chance to. She had this theory that there were two types of poets. One is the cow poet, and one is the cat poet. And the cow poet is the poet who, who sits down every single day and makes an intentional sort of, um, I'm going to write for, you know, like the Billy Collins poet, like I'm going to write from seven to nine and I'm, you know, every day that has to be a part of my, um, my daily like process. And the cat poets are the ones who like sort of just, sorry, this is not a <laughs> great like uh, example, but they, but it's just like a few months out of the year where they really become um, proliferate and start to write. And I'm definitely that. But in the meantime, I try to aggregate as much. I mean, I have a full wall of just like I'll anything that inspires me or lines that I wish I'd written or poems that I love. It basically mm. looks like I'm a terrorist. <laughs> it, it's just like it's like a literal like a literal wall. It's like covered a whole wall a literal wall of of taped up um of taped up poems and then i kind of just like stay with them and look at all of them and wait till something about them happens like the one that i just read the skin and other weapons i had that poem title um like kept up on that wall because i knew i wanted to write it but I didn't write it for four or five years. And then it was just happening to me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is happening. Like skin and other weapons is happening to me right now. So it's just like, for me, it's more like you sit on lines hmm. um, that you've written that are important to you until, until they happen. Hmm. And sometimes that's very helpful instead of just starting and staring at a blank page of paper. It's helpful to have. It's helpful to have some sort of lines that you're working from, yeah. and that's always been really important to me. Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting. It's sort of a poet's version of. Um, we had the only non-poet. I, I feel bad calling her a non-poet. She is a poet, but Janet Fitch uh, was a guest on this. Um, uh, maybe six months ago or so. And she has a file cabinet full of just lines and descriptions of things and different characters that she hasn't used yet. Like it's fiction, so it's different. 
because you know you have to put together character and plot and and move around scenes and descriptions and things like that and it's a lot more um mechanistic maybe than poetry is but it's sort of a the um conspiracy theorist wall is sort of a um poet's version of that maybe that's interesting to hear um uh, let me ask how did you get into poetry um you know, the one thing that struck people, which made them sort of very curious that they kept seeing you in Rattle, um, was how you kept saying in your bio, your contributor, your age, you said, like, I'm 22. I don't know anything to say about poetry yet in the very first one. And then he said, I'm 23 and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it, it, you got into poetry um, and really doing it well at a very young age. How long have you been writing and how did you get into writing poetry? I think I started writing it when I was about 20. So two um, years, two years after you started writing poetry, you were a finalist for the Rattle Poetry Prize. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> that's that's kind of crazy. Maybe 21. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. I was I was a third year at UVA. Um, I, um well, I, gosh, I don't know where to. I was dreading this question because I really didn't know what to say about it. Um, I, I um. I was a homeschooled uh, high schooler um, because I come from a family of um, dancers. My sister was a very, like, very accomplished dancer in Russia. Um, and in the meantime, when we were in high school, we were, like, spending the summers at different, um, like, Boston Ballet and that kind of thing. And then I had uh, a couple different, well, three different surgeries on my feet and one of them still has my left foot kind of numb. Mm. I can't feel anything on the bottom of my left foot. So that kind of ended ballet for me. Not that I at all thought that I was going to go professionally. Like, you know, my sister was next level. I was not. Um, but, but I, so I, I took a year off. I worked at the UN as a lobbyist. And then I went to the University of Virginia where I actually met my husband. I didn't like date him, but we knew each other. Um, and I just accidentally sort of stumbled upon poetry classes. And I was like a bulldog that had been refused cake. If you can like kind of like think about the face of a dog that just like a bulldog that had just gotten cake and was like, <laughs> where has this been all my life? I was sort of like, oh. Oh, okay. Um, and then came my third year when I could actually apply for um, for what Lisa Rusbar heads. Um, it's one of the one of the best undergraduate poetry programs in the country, and it it lit up my life, hmm. and it was wonderful. And I just, I just, I'm going to sound really trite and silly and cliche but it it was like oh this is what i this is what i've always been good at hmm. which is um describing things and and try and conveying things in ways that that can attempt to make it matter hmm. and that was the most important and um compelling and uh invigorating thing like that was what felt liberating was knowing that writing can do that kind of thing. And it was wonderful. And I still have some of the best friends ever um, from that 
And Lisa Raspar is one of the best poets that I've ever known and one of the most wonderful mothering figures ever, too. What, Sorry, does that no, answer the question? No, that, that does. That really answers it. Um, do, is there a poem um, that you read that sort of like clicked with you um, or that you wrote that sort of made it all sort of mean something all of a sudden? Because I've had that. I mean, and I've talked to a lot of people and a lot of people have this experience where there's just one poem. that's like, bam, poetry's awesome. And then you try to do it and you, you're terrible at it. And then you're like, bam, I, I did something that was creative and this didn't exist anymore. And there's that like rush of like something cool just happened. And then you become addicted to poetry for life. Um, did those things happen to you? Yeah. Um, there were so many. Lee, I, I used to go to this chapel um, at St. Thomas. It just, it was this little like offshoot and it was just, just one place to be quiet because UVA is so huge. And um, I remember reading Lee Young Lee's entire book, Rose, mm. which was like confoundingly important to me. But one poem in particular was Stephen Dunn's poem, but I, I moved without it, so I don't have it anymore and I can't find it online, but it was Stephen Dunn's poem, Juarez. I don't think I know that. Oh, it's just this beautiful poem about... Um, about like how his wife and he, he and his wife were like, would kind of fight over who gets to tell stories mm. um, because it's like, who does it belong to more? And it was so beautiful. And um, I actually had to learn it by heart um, in front of Alice Quinn, who was the New Yorker's editor for a long time. And she just came on my, um, my classes as a, my class as a, um, as a guest teacher. And it, that was one that was really big. How about you? Do you have one? Um, well, it's interesting you mentioned Lee Young Lee because that was the first, um, both Rose in the City in which I love you were two books that, that I did in college. I was a science major and just taking poetry as sort of a fun elective and then a dual major. And then I kept creeping over. And a lot of it was Lee Young Lee. The first poem I loved was um, The Snowman. Um, the Wallace Stevens, because I felt like a snowman growing up in Western New York. And then, um, and so I just like diddled around with poetry. And then there was one poem that I wrote where I didn't know I knew something. And I was like, wow, like that's an insight that I had in my head. And I didn't know I knew that. And that's when I sort of became addicted to writing. Um, did you have a poem like that where it like clicked and you became a poet? I think that's when you, can, you become a poet is when you write something that surprises you. Um, did you have a poem like that? I did. I, I think it would have been, uh, it was actually poems about grace, which you posted today on Rattle. Yeah. That was where I sort of was like, okay, that's how I want to sound as the writer. Like before I was trying to, to sound like other writers. Hmm. And that was the first time that I sort of stepped into my own voice. And um, do you, it's kind of a long yeah. poem. Do you want to read that? Or, or do you want to read shorter ones? It's, it's totally up to you. You can read would whatever you, you want. Oh, okay. I can read it. Okay. It might be good because yeah. it's good. It sort of relates to the last poem you read too. So it's a good. Yeah, it is. Okay. Poems about grace. Kazakhstan. One. The video is soft and grainy as an ultrasound. 11 seconds of a caretaker holding a baby girl up by the armpit like a potted plant. When the woman bounced her in the air, 
the infant shivered the way petals do when wind grasped a stem too thin, too breakable to hold. We stood a foot from the screen for hours. Rewind and play. Rewind and play. Inside us, something raised and gathered like a scar. We were an ache, a gash sealed for someone other than ourselves. My husband boiled pots and pots of tea. We wouldn't sleep, that baby out there burning, remote and lonely as a star. Two, at the orphanage, she learned early not to cry. No one came. Twelve children per nurse, she lay, she lay with sleeves safety pinned to the mattress. By mid-afternoon, her window darkened like a clock. Blackness welled up in pooling, pushing even the clouds from their sky. Maybe in the stillness, she heard a starling. Maybe she wanted to sing, too. Got as far as opening her mouth, but didn't know any songs. Three. To adopt, you visit first. This is labor. It is unpinning your baby's arms from her crib of toothpicks and lead paint. It is her squirm when caressed, caught between an instant of panic and her lifelong yearn. It is the cautious curl against a mother's chest, how her brown lips part like an upturned beak as you darn the holes in her clothes, the punctures made when fettered to her sheep. It is your impulse to encircle her like a womb, to feel her breathe and kick in her sleep. To hear her heart faintly against yours, that pregnant syncopation you thought you'd never know. Touch had turned her hungry. All night she wailed, her mouth the O of an open drain. The next day a nurse yelled, you ruined her, held her too much. The vein running up her neck stood out like a blue cable. She had taught this child what was good to know, that life would be low-pitched and solo. The dream is just another word for tunnel. That to be born means the same as to barrel. The same way a train does from its station. The way this child had from the body of a mother who first cut her brakes. Her toes like tiny hooks pulled me up from the world. Mornings she put the undersides of her feet together as though in prayer. I learned a new way to talk to God. Her little feet in my mouth. In each sentence I spoke. Once, seeing her socks on the staircase, the shape of two white eggs, I burst grateful into tears. She hears us hovered at the door, stretches wide like the confident roots of a flower, an outward earthen turn. See how her veined palm draws gently toward the roots in mine. Our dangling threads crocheted into a trellis-like lace. A helix, we've, a helix we've doubled and twisted by hand. Sorry, that was long. No, that's a great poem. That was uh, poems about grace um, from Our Lady of Not Asking Why. Um, and, and what is it about that poem where the voice felt right? Like, like what? Is there a way you can describe the difference or something? Um, I, felt, I felt very presumptuous to write it. Um, this, you know, like it's it's so in the same sort of vein uh, of Ars Biologica because it's the one Ars Biologica was in my own voice, but 
this one was in the voice of my mother. Mm-hmm. And so I could never, I felt bad presuming to know how she felt. Um, but, but she gave it the stamp of approval and that kind of thing. So I don't know. It's just, you can only, I don't know. I, there are a couple of poems that I did that where I, where I spoke in other people's voices throughout. And, and especially in like the short essays where I was speaking for other people. Um, but who knows? Yeah, I, who knows I, if it ever works. Yeah, I wanted to ask about those short poems. They're such interesting little interludes. And it's sort of like you're, like I felt feeling, you know, I felt reading the book like I was sort of entering a big house and a big family of sisters. And then you're getting like snippets of things that you hear from the next room with those poems, which made it sort of feel, I don't know, there was sort of a, detached isn't the right word, but like it made it feel like more rounded or something as those approach in. And there's such an unusual sort of style of poem um, to do in a book like that and then space it out that way. Um, how did that, how did those come to be? Um, well, I, I do like to think of them as sort of like a, a modern Grecian chorus. Hmm. I like that sort of, like I grew up with, like that felt like a fun kind of um, like alleviation from the intensity of some of the poems. And I tried to space it out accordingly. It really just came because I was at Columbia at the time and I was living in a Columbia, um, a Columbia given uh, apartment for, for their graduate students. I just got kind of lucky, but it was on the first floor and I um, I didn't have like a white noise machine, so I would just lift up my um, my window, and that kind of like that kind of just constant noise would help me go to sleep. But what I would notice was I would I would catch like I would catch wind of all these different sort of arguments or like things that were happening on the street, but you would only catch this really small snippet of it. And so it made me wonder about like um, about casual language and how if you only catch like one little brief snippet, how that changes the entire thing. And then I would think about like, okay, what about uh, line breaks and how would how would colloquial talk become a poem in and of itself if you broke it into lines in the right way? And so then I just went crazy and I didn't even know if it would be the right thing but then it was just so much fun and I couldn't stop so there were about 20 um but only I think six made it into the the book itself but it was it was like inhabiting my father's voice like uh, there's a poem called um short essay at the sink and then there's one in my grandfather's voice like it was it or you know like a random woman like it was just a kind of fun project and then I started to get really attached to the idea of how colloquial how colloquial thought can be made sort of elevated and um and important Hmm. and imbued or kind of injected with this urgency I don't know well it was definitely an interesting effect reading the book um 
I, it's weird. I'm, I'm trying to like articulate what, how, what it feels like, but there's a way that it feels like it's not getting too personal or something. Like it sort of pulls you back from the idea that the voice is always like one person and it's very, it, ma- it makes it like a larger, more expansive theme, I think, which was a really interesting effect reading the book. Um, do you want to maybe read one of those so people can have an idea of what we're talking about? And I should say, sure. while, you, while you find something, that if anybody has any questions for uh, Courtney Kempa, uh, leave them in the chat window. I'm monitoring both Facebook and YouTube. Um, and I see we have a question I'll ask in a minute from um, um, June Smith. Uh, but, but first, let's hear one of these poems. And, and what page is the one that you're reading on? Um, I'm reading the first one on page 17. Okay. Short essay at the sink. If you're not going to tell her, I am. If you're going to sit there smiling while our little girl brings home a clown like that. I don't like this at all. I got a real bad smell off that guy. Don't act like you didn't notice how he peeled that orange. I've never seen anyone so so confused by a piece of fruit. Acting like you handed him a Rubik's Cube to snack on. Good God, Kate. No, I'm serious. You want grandkids? You think that guy's going to give you grandkids? You're crazy. I'll be nice about her. Don't worry. I'll be a goddamn poet. I just got to pull her aside and remind her that people die all the time without ever knowing simple things about themselves. She'll get what I mean. Yeah, so that was a short essay at the sink. I love that it brings the humor out. There's a bunch of a lot of humor in this book, too. Um, was that is that you that your father is speaking about in the poem? I was wondering. I think it's just more of a generalization <laughs> of it. his. Is uh, of his sort of initial uh, decision about the boys that we would bring home. Yeah, the, the other thing that was going through my head a lot reading this because my daughter is uh, is ten now, and so I'm very close to that age where I'm going to have to be the father and make decisions and stuff. So I I related to that a little too much, a little more than I wanted to. <laughs> I think. Um, so June Smith asks if you can talk a bit about how you write so vividly about childhood. Um, is there a way that you go back into that space or, or strategies you have or anything like that? Um, I think sometimes it helps to have a kind of um, so much of what I was writing about when I was writing about childhood. Um, they were prompts that we were receiving from uh, I was, I was like 24 years old. It took me a long time to actually submit this book. Because again, I was waiting for a couple poems to really come my way. But most of it was done by the time I was 25. Um, and when I was at Columbia, there were so many interesting prompts that triggered memories. And, and that was really, that was really like where you would sit and be like, okay, how did I feel about that? But if you just sit there with a blank, with a, with a blank canvas or a blank, word doc, it is very difficult to conjure, you know, it helps to have, uh, Lucy Brock Breda would give us word, word banks, um, that we had to, you know, incorporate or, you know, various prompts. And suddenly you were like, Oh, I remember that. Like, Oh, I remember. Like there's a poem in there that, um, before, uh, before this interview, like I, I was kind of, flipping through the book and I was like, Oh mercy. And that's a poem about just 
squeezing my, like, my sisters and I would play this, like, weird game of mercy during mass, just, like, during our father, when you would hold hands, and it was just this really mean game of just trying to see who would, uh, who would crumble first, and, and it's weird memories like that, where it's like, oh, man, like, that was so like, and then you like make all of the different, um, you connect the dots of, of what that means as kids. And um, I don't know. I really, this is what I was afraid of. I really don't quite know. I, I, I just think like the more that you take notes, once again, like that, having that wall of things that I, I write and then tape to the wall and then wait. And then you have, this sort of um, this thing to pull from this great deal of work that you've spent, you know, years of of occasionally writing and taping up, and then you can cobble together a poem that suddenly you're like, oh, that's what I was thinking all. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. There's this, I feel like there's a sense of meaning that we have. Like it's like a sixth sense or maybe an eighth sense or something where we sort of know that something is is meaningful, but we don't know why. We just like intuitively know. And especially when you're a kid, so many things happen that you know is significant, even at, at the time, but you have no idea why or what it means. And then, and then later yeah, looking back it. through poems, it kind of, you can put it all together. Um, do you want to read that poem since you talked about it? Oh, okay. Mercy? Yeah. Let's see. Again, I haven't thought about this poem in like three years. I was like, whoa, I forgot about this. Um, Mercy is on page 55. Good. Mercy was the game we played, squeezing hands during the Our Father at 1030 Mass. The winner, whoever hurt longest in silence. Only the small muscles of sisters the brittle glow of her hair, its morning smell of butter and eggs. Glasses hooked around my ears, lenses thick as Oreos. Learning compassion must be begged for. But what we knew of begging was singing orphans in musicals. And what I knew of need was the dollar Richard Berry gave me to tell people I was his girlfriend, folded in my pocket till the collection basket had passed. All I grasped of her hands at that age was their color, green-white, sticky, bruised, like squeezing a pear. Our bodies bent over the pew, driven to sound but kept quiet. Call it ruthless or resistless. Blame it on the edges of our playground where gentleness was just a lack of something stronger. Or the way deliver us sounded in Latin. I thought belief could be touched, her pulse quickening in my hands. I have not forgotten what it looked like. And that was Mercy from uh, Our Lady of Not Asking Why. Um, were you a student of Gregory Orr? I, th I think I remembered that, and I think I mentioned it last episode. Okay, so, um, so Daniel Musk uh, just wants to know about... Um, taking classes with Gregory Orr and, and how did he influence your poems? And, and he's one of my favorite poets too. We interviewed him in rattle number 23. Um, we went to a play yeah. together too, because uh, Alan took us to see the goat, but, um, and it was just a really, really memorable. And I love Gregory Orr and his book, uh, concerning the 
book of the body that is the beloved i think if that's yeah. right it's just one of the most yeah. inspired his, books it's almost and ecstatic his, yeah. I think his wife his wife did the the cover art too. yeah we published his a whole bunch of her that's part. patricia or or trisha or and we um published a bunch of her um paintings of his poems too in our visual poetry issue um but yeah and then he has such an amazing life story too so if you um i think it's rattle 23 if anybody watching at home yeah. wants to know more about gregory Orr, start there but then his his books he has a bunch of amazing books um but so so what did you learn from gregory i guess is the heart of uh, daniel musk's question all right i got two things to say about gregory Orr. one is what i learned and the other one was what i experienced the third is that i love him so much um, he is so mysterious and so enigmatic and funny. I know that he runs here in, I'm, I'm here in Charlottesville actually. So I probably, and just, I could just drive to his house right now, but he, he runs with a notebook oh, wow. tied around his neck. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. I have to, he runs I need with a, a notebook and I don't know where he keeps, pen in his hair or something because he's got long hair um he is so um so funny and so weird and like i love him and he just when when you go into office hours with him he just puts his legs up on the table and you're like okay 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 this is but the first experience i ever had with gregory Orr was i think i said something i didn't even think anything of it i think i must have been a third year and we were in a in a writing class and he just goes um well no he didn't he didn't say anything he just sort of zeroed in that he thought i was funny and so every time he would make a joke he would lean in and look at me to see if i was laughing and he did that the entire next two years he just thought that we had some sort of in, inside joke that i was always like oh dear but the most wonderful thing that Gregory Orr taught me, and I still have students do this every every time I teach a creative writing class, is so he has his beautiful poem, A Litany, about the death of his brother. Mm-hmm. And um, what he has uh, us do as students is to start the clock for 10 minutes. And the only the only rule is that we can't stop typing. And so the, the poem, A Litany, is, I remember, I remember this one a lot, like, it, it's like a very short poem. But what he has us do is say, I remember, and then you just start writing, I remember. And so you, you create this massive document of things that you remember. And then he has you do it multiple times throughout the semester. And I have this, like, 40-page document of things that you weren't, like even aware of like the way that your brain remembers things. And it was wonderful and I still have it. Um, and it's important. And it's one of those things I go through every time I think about writing, I'm like, okay, well, that, and it, it's the way that your brain correlates one memory with another thing, with another thing. And one of the rules was that he would never ask to see it. Hmm. So it was utterly honest and it was utterly, um, vulnerable and and you know and real so yeah i think that's an important rule too that nobody nobody yeah. should see it because um yeah that keeps it honest um and and um maribade and kyv 
I guess it's a two people with the same account. Um, wants to know about um, the process of sharing your poems with people in your life, uh, family, and if that limits what you write and how. That is a very, really, very real um, question. And it's one that I'm still not quite um, used to. I mean, one thing that, one one really helpful um, piece of advice was um, that people, I can't, I, can't remember, I can't even remember who gave it to me, but it was, it was like, don't underestimate the fact that people will be flattered that you write about them. Hmm. And that's important. But at the same time, so there was that aspect of it. But at the same time, there also is the worry. And I wrote, um, I wrote a poem that there were a couple poems, like so Skin and Other Weapons. And then It's You I Like is a poem about gun control. Um, that um, I wrote having been on the phone with my sister uh, for a long, like for several different occasions and her just being so upset. She was a teacher. And, um, and, and so I used uh, various names of my nieces and nephews or my cousins, like nieces and nephews per se. And I wrote, I wrote them and I, um, asked permission before the book came out. It was never like an issue. Like they were just like, Oh yeah. Like they were very, very welcoming and very kind about it. And, um, for that to be a vessel. And then there are also things that I wish I had shown to people. Um, my uncle passed away and I, I really wasn't sure whether or not to show him a particular poem. Um, that was a love letter to my cousin, his daughter. And, and I wish I had, you know, because my cousin loved the poem and, and, you know, so sometimes it just takes a little bit of bravery to just, like to just ask the person and see if they're cool with it, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and often, often it's, it's, it it is, often it's not. So, you know, asking is the, is the right way to do it but but yeah it it does it does give you pause Mm -hmm. and like it's one thing to start to write it and you have like as an outlet to write and then it's a totally different animal Mm -hmm. to suddenly be confronted with this being a book out in the world under your name yeah yeah it's a good question because it's something that i uh, you know struggle with myself like i i have poems a whole bunch of poems i've never published or shown to anybody and um, maybe, you know, maybe someday I will, maybe not. And, and I don't know, the, the writing itself is the thing that matters to me the most, I think. Like that process of discovery and learning about, about what you really think. Um, we have time for maybe, since we started a little late, um, we have time for maybe two more poems and maybe one question in the middle. Do you want to like do a, a penultimate poem here? Sure. Is there one that... Um, I don't know, whatever, whatever you'd like to read, if there's anything that that relates or, or just you felt like reading. And we have that Charlottesville poem too from, from rattle 62 at some point. Oh yeah. I got that one. Want to do that one? Is it yeah, sure. Thing? Let's do that one. Since we're in Charlottesville here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this one isn't in the book. It's like, but you guys were so kind to publish it. Um, in Charlottesville after Charlottesville. 
Tonight, they've hung up lights in lilt across Second and Water Street on the downtown mall. A Christmas choir singing Oh Holy Night. 24 people lined against the painted brick wall, its peeling curls. The wall will melt aside on one knee, face full of fear. The sidewalk of gum and toppled ice cream to ask if I could always call him mine. The same wall we crouched against in August, shielding our heads with our arms, our bags, our books, whatever brought along that might protect us from the rocks and spit they threw. Their emptied tear gas canisters hurled by arms roaring with blood. Their, face doing that, their faces doing that angry Goya thing with the colors. My mother called hours after Heather last breathed, called only to make sure that our front door was locked, that I remembered tomorrow was a holy day of obligation, her own version of danger. That in time, that time in August, flowers weren't blooming, but there was one frail rose in our rented front yard, and we could see it from the upstairs window, the rose, but also the gunmetal gray Dodge, plate GVF 1111, three houses down, abandoned and blood caked from taking Heather's life and mowing over others, full throttle forward, then revved into reverse, the steel front bumper severed, like two arms bent, palms up, and sorry. A card take a person places, not to take someone away, and in the window Will became more beautiful to me, his fingers on the glass, all of them his, now sort of mine too. The driver ran into the woods to crouch and hide out like a squirrel. We walked our dog through those woods that morning, green and lush, as if beauty's sole defense was to just always be beautiful. On the Feast of the Assumption, Charlottesville opened their eyes as if a body punctured, tiki torches on fire, adult children playing with their father's guns. Tonight, snow falls peacefully and the choir sings, fall on your knees. And because we have nothing else to give, we do. Yeah, beautiful poem, a, a beautiful ending and, and still timely. It's two years old, but still very timely this summer too. Um, I wanted to ask you, very. yeah, I wanted to ask, I, I sort of hate to ask this question, but I kind of, I'm dying to know the answer. Um, so your husband is like a literal rock star and you got a guitar next to you. Like he's the, that Will, you mentioned the poem, right? Oh yeah, you're right. It's yeah. Right here, yeah. <laughs> so he's in the band uh, Parachute, which I'm not a, I'm a big music, music person, but I've heard a bunch of his songs because they're, they're hit songs. So, so how do you, you mentioned um, earlier that, that, that bringing meaning into the world is important to you as a poet. And how do you reconcile? Because if you, um, you know, like like on this on this rattle cast episode, right? Maybe a hundred people are watching live right now. Maybe a thousand people will watch it eventually and listen. Um, but anytime he does a concert because it's music, it's like thousands of people, right? In like a big auditorium. How do you reconcile the difference between like the popularity of poetry and how important it is to you? Um, is that something that you think about or um because the contrast between music and poetry is just so huge when it comes to popularity and um and and just as me like i go through sort of phase where i'm like am i wasting my life doing this thing that that so few people care about and then and then of course the fact that so few people care about is one of the beauties so it's sort of this it goes back and forth 
Um, but how do you like, how do you go about thinking about that? Man. Oh boy. Um, I mean, it's, it's a little bit freeing in the sense, like there's a little bit more of a margin of, um, of like, you know, if, if you write a kind of bad poem, it might not matter as much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I, 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 I don't know. I, I think that the one thing that's really cool about people who are adamant about poetry, but particularly what's really wonderful about Rattle, and I'm not just saying this because we're here, but I, I remember when I was, uh, like, years ago, I remember what I, when I got a um, an email from, uh, I think you guys had, had published something of mine or it had been on like the daily, the daily things that you guys send out. And he was the, he's the main photographer for the, for American, um, for ABT American Ballet Theater in New York city. And I was like, Oh, they've cracked the code. (laughs) They've figured out how to make, how to like, how to like show that poetry matters to multiple different art forms Mm -hmm. so i don't really i don't really feel necessarily confined by that and it might be because i have the the luxury of of people who have been fans of of will and you know his writing and that kind of thing where it's expanded my platform um but one thing i just try to do is is to just make sure that it matters to like a larger like a larger audience than than just the people who only spend time in the poetry uh section at Barnes and Noble type thing Mm -hmm. like where it it somehow gets them thinking about other things or bleeds into different art forms and that kind of thing I don't know so I I really don't know but um but I mean he's he's one of my best readers he's actually he's Kind of like my, um, he does all of my, he's, I call him my secretary and I'm his copy editor. So <laughs> we, <laughs> we, you know, we, we give and take and it's, and it's, it's kind of wonderful to, um, be married to someone who, who writes and reads as, as much and as intense, intentionally and, um, in, yeah, as intentionally and ardently as, as I do, where um, we do it to different to different ends or to different means, but it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I used to date people in uh, like back in, in the day uh, who just, I think if I would have ended up with them, would it, it would have been just like a very lonely existence just sitting there in my room writing instead of writing it and him being like, okay, I don't understand all of poetry. Like I don't get poetry, but I can see this and I can follow it. And this is beautiful. It would just be, it's just a huge gift to, to marry a fellow writer Mm -hmm. and to also know that you have, you have your own kind of thing and he has his own kind of thing. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah that's, that's a good, an inarticulate that's a, way of putting it. No, that's it. a that's a great answer. Um, Daniel Mask asks um, if you've collaborated with him, and and it, it's just there's something really interesting. I feel like like um, 
popular things versus poetry are sort of going in two completely different directions. Like the, the goal. Like with poetry, you're sort of like trying to slice things up and dissect them and learn something new. And and with um with with music, you're trying to sort of have a coherence. So it's sort of like you're you're dividing and, and stirring things up and challenging people when it comes to poetry, like we write and publish, right? And and with music, you're trying to bring people together. So it's like a completely different style, or not even style, but just like goal to me. Do you think that's true? And and have you collaborated? And, and do you find that possible? Um, yeah, we we co-wrote a song uh, called "When You Move," um, and the other ones like I just sort of take a glance at, or he'll he'll yell at like, "What works with this like phrase?" That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're constantly yelling back and forth. Um, but I, I've, I've lately kind of stepped out of it. And um, sometimes he makes me, I don't, I do not sing as all of you can hear. I don't have like a very lovely voice, like just even speaking. Um, but so sometimes he makes me do some background vocals and that kind of thing. But um no, <laughs> but so we wrote "When You Move" together, and I copy edit occasionally. So that's it. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll have to, have to look that one up. Um, let me ask you one more question, then we'll finish out with uh, with one last poem. Um, you mentioned on email that you're working on a different project that's not poetry. Can you say anything a little bit about that? I was just curious uh, what you're working on. Um, I can't. Well, it's it's. So I, I kind of, um, so when this, when this book came out was 2017 and, um, I was sort of like ready to take a good year off. I was sort of, uh, a little bit, a little bit done with poetry for just a year thinking, no. And, um, my husband, then fiance had, uh, had moved up to Brooklyn to be close to be close by. I was living on the Upper East Side and so, you know, to be in the same city. And I was taking a nap at his house and um, uh, Evan Boland, the, the late Evan Boland, bless her, called and I hadn't applied to the Stegner, but um, she randomly, she had saved my work and so she asked me to come to Stanford and so we did. So, then that was two more years of writing poetry when I was really just <laughs> wanting to kind of like take a break. Um, and so what I thought about a lot during that time and what I, I was showing them different work that I'd started as an undergraduate um, and then revisited was, and also had become fascinated with work that transcended or not transcended, but like, that played around with different genres, like Maggie Nelson's, her Argonauts and uh, Blewitt's or um, Rachel Zucker's Museum of Accidents and, and places where they mixed poetry with fiction, with nonfiction and all of it sort of, sort of amalgamation. So that's what I'm doing. It won't be under my name for mm. my own safety. But, Interesting. Um, it, it, so... It'll be under a nom de plume. Hmm. Well, that's really interesting. Um, how do you, how you can promote something that's not under your own name? That's you tricky. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Interesting. Well, we'll have to yeah. see. Well, we won't even see how it <laughs> what comes of it. Well, it's just 
it's about it's about uh, trauma with mm-hmm. that a lot of women go through. Um, just so many so many people go through it, um, and so it's just you know who knows it might not even see the light of day. We'll see. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a publisher, yeah. so I'm just working on it. Well, cool. Good to hear that. Do you want to uh, finish out with one last poem? Whatever you want. Sure. All right. Let me let me find one. I'll read it. It's you I like. Okay. We talked about that before. That's one about. Um, it's page seventy-three. Okay. It's you I like. My sister spins her wine glass by its stem, searching for adult versions of the childproof words she speaks in every day. How the alarm for an active shooter drill sounded different than the one they used for fires, ringing out at school this morning like European sirens in an Anne Frank movie. Her first graders looking up from phonics workbooks to watch her lock their windows down, shut the blinds to daylilies, tiger-striped and lazy on the playground, cover the classroom's frosted door with black cotton like mirrors when in mourning. How she squeezed her 24 kids into the supply closet. Bodies small enough to somehow fit. Taught to squat down low against the floor. How practice and preparation are not the same exactly, though they can seem so. Fear speaking its own language in each child. Whimpers from Eloise crouched in the black, in the back. Jack's eyes wide as if a punishment is fault. A ball of wetted underwear hidden in Manishka's fist. And James knows everyone is scared, so he is asked to sing the Mr. Rogers song. And though it broke the rules, my sister let them. Just this once, and only at a whisper, let them sing. It's you I like, not the things you wear, not the way you do your hair, but it's you I like. James. We told her once, anticipation, anticipation is the sincerest form of affection. Big words, but not for James, who learned it in Korean, too. Who claps er- erasers without ever being asked. And starts his day before the bell with push-ups in the middle of the aisle. Who got in trouble last week with Salvatore, snickering at cartoon illustrations of Princess Jasmine's cleavage. The Aladdin book confiscated for a while the way you are right now the way down deep inside you not the things that hide you 24 children huddled behind a door covered on the other side by maps of the earth in quilted color to teach them that if you look for the world you can find it but it's you i like every part of you your skin your eyes your feelings whether old or new And the principal walks the hallway, rattling doorknobs, testing the locks. My sister, certain that it's sound that she would use the wrench and can of wasp spray hidden in her file cabinet to protect them if she could. Her belief in evil, not yet taken entirely, by her faith that she can ward it all away. I hope that you remember, even when you're feeling blue, their heads popping up from the ground to point around to each other like my sister taught. That it's you I like, it's you yourself, it's you. A seasick silence at its finish, and James begins the song again. The others follow. Quiet little choir in the almost total dark, 
faces pressed against the floor, singing to some goodness in our world. Ooh, another beautiful poem. Thanks so much, Courtney Campa. And that was, um, it's You I Like from Our Lady of Not Asking Why. Thanks so much for joining us today, Courtney. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and get to know you a little better and um, hearing these awesome poems directly from the source. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, have a, have a good rest of your night, and I'll see you later. Okay, bye. bye. Okay, so that was Courtney Campa, and uh, once again, her book um, from New Issues Press is Our Lady of Not Asking Why. Um, it's from Western Michigan University. They don't have a uh, website on the book, but you can find Courtney Campa's work at CourtneyCampa.com. Uh, yeah, CourtneyCampa.com, and that's for people listening at home. That's C O. U-R-T-N-E-Y-K-A-M-P-A dot com. Our Lady of Not Asking Why. Now let's move over to the open mic portion of the show. Um, and once again, um, the the phone number, we have a bunch of people lined up already. We have uh, Richard Westheimer, Caitlin Buxbaum, Michelle Parks, Angela Gartner, um, The Usual Gang, Jess D, uh, Cameron Gray. We have a 774 number. And um, maybe 864. If, if, um, if you're at 864, call me again because the, the phone came in early and I'm not sure if it was somebody who wanted to be on or not. Uh, it was like an hour before the show started. But um, yeah, so, so send your poem uh, to uh, openmic at rattle.com. And then the Skype, of course, is all one word, Rattle Poetry. Uh, send me a chat message there if you'd like to share your poem. And uh, the phone number is 818 818- Eight five zero seven seven two seven. Now the prompt for this week, just to remind you, it was um, this was uh, this week's prompt, which was write a poem in a form you've never tried before. And when we had a suggestion that Writer's Digest has a great list of uh, poetic forms, so Robert Brewer does that. Uh, it's writersdigest.com, and if you just type that into a search engine, you can find this list. It, it's listed as fifty here, but he's up to a hundred on his list. Now, for my poem for this week, um, I picked a, um, a Sinquain, which is a five lines, sort of haiku-like poem, um, and it's syllabic, so you count syllables in this kind of poem. It's two, and then four, and then six, and then eight, and then back to two. So, um, so it's a syllabic little poem. And I was thinking last week, um, at the country club, while the kids were, well, it's not really a country club, it's a, it's a lake. Um, that we call a country club in our little town because you have to um, join to be able to swim there. But um, at the country club, um, the kids were swimming and I was sitting there watching them and um, just thinking about how, God, they grew up so fast and how um, the summer's half over and sort of like their childhood is half over and like my life is half over. And it kept going on like that. So this is my Sinquain. It's called Twin Lake at Sunset. And there's something too about... um, it's called Twin Lake, which is a sort of ironic title because there used to be a twin, and now the lake is filled in the second lake. So it's just one twin lake here where we live. And um, here you go. This is my Sinquain. Twin Lake at sunset. Even now the tadpoles at the swimming hole are sprouting limbs like summer's almost over. I'll read it again because it's haiku-like. Even now the tadpoles at the swimming hole are sprouting limbs like summer's almost over. Now Megan wrote a nonnet, and I forgot to look up... Um, let me do that really quick. A nonnet. 
I don't know the actual deal. A lot of these forms on this list are completely new to me. Let's look up a non. So it's a um, it's a nine line poem, also syllabic. It has nine syllables, then eight, then seven, going down to one. Apparently, so there you go. That's a non. It that makes sense. Um, so so this is interesting because I've I've never written in syllabics. I'm not a big fan of syllabics, honestly. I like feet, <laughs> and um, um, and so Megan picked the syllabic poem too, and this was her uh, non. It um, after the drought we stayed inside. After the drought we stayed inside. You would think we were dying for it, what we would run in, that we would run into the streets, faces angled toward the sky, but we forgot our thirst, wanted to stay dry by our windows, watch the earth drink our loss. It's haiku-like, so I'll read it again. After the drought, we stayed inside. You would think we were dying for it, that we would run into the streets, faces angled toward the sky, but we forgot our thirst, wanted to stay dry by our windows, watch the earth drink our loss. And I can confirm it's very drought-like here. It would be nice if it rained. Um, another great poem by Megan. A nonnet. Another new form to me, too. So let's see what you did here. Um, who was the first on the call list? I think it was Angela Gart. And, um, and a, a couple of people asked if I would read, at least one person asked if I would read for them, which is totally fine if there's time. I want to get to the people who are waiting live to talk, though, so we'll do them first. Let's call up Angela Gartner. Hey, Angela. Um, you got it on hey. me? Happy quick pick a draw. Good job. Okay, so let me play it in. Although I, I've, I used to have it, so oops, here we go. There you are. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, really good. Um, and, and what style of poem? I see it was a concrete poem. Um, is there anything you want to say about writing in this style? Well, it was kind of cool. Like, um, I actually did it... Um, you know, at first I'm like, how how do they kind of do the shapes? So you had to research like how to do the shapes, mm-hmm. and um, for me, like I did it in like a InDesign um, file where I actually like like hand I, I like drew it like with my pen in InDesign, and then I like <laughs> and then and and that's how I it kind of got the shape. And um, it looks like the Twitter icon. Is that how it's supposed to? You? It's great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I showed this to my mom and she's like um because it's called uh bluebird problems but um she thought of it as a bluebird but it's actually i drew like the tw- it, it's i was inspired by twitter for this poem so so yeah that's awesome you got that because i didn't even so that's yeah i was inspired by twitter and i um so that's kind of how it goes about. But I mean, I had a lot of fun. Like, I'm like, I'm going to do a hockey stick next because my sons play hockey uh-huh. and I want like a cool hockey stick poem for them. So there's a poet um, that we've published a few times. I can't remember his name right now, but he has these amazingly intricate, like one of them, one I remember that we, I think we published two. One of them is about the Grateful Dead somehow. And it's like this flaming like guitar it's a the the graphic design. I wish I could remember his name, but I can't. But um, maybe I could put it in the show notes if it comes to me later. Um, but it's similar to this this concrete style where it's very very visual. Um, here you go. Whenever you're ready, go ahead. Yeah, I it's it's a fun way to do it. But um, okay, I'm ready. Okay. The bluebird of societal problems perverts its cheerful beak. It sits on its wire and waits to take down its prey. It idles in the night, and then, when the dawn breaks, 
it takes advantage of the fearful emotions of the curious who hop in its path. The bluebird does not care about the chatter from the flock, the ones who peck at each other until they almost bleed, those short-tempered wingnuts who ruffle each other's feathers and put out their chests in name of their nest. They insist on their guile talk as they molt mounds of fluff. They sing woefully silly songs and spew bile onto branches of the trees. The receptacle preening allows flinchingly followers to chirp their agreements. The bluebird, in the unsocial posture, waits above with its sharp claws. It seems unaware of the pain and panic it causes when it swoops down to feed. Distinctive crests in the row squawk at the sky in surprise. They can't take flight because of a hunger of their own. Oh, that was great. Yeah, and that's definitely Twitter. <laughs> Very creative. I love that, that ending, too. Yeah, good job. Good, good poem, Angel. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Have a great you night. Too. And great morning was awesome. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, she's a great poet, too. Yeah, have a good night. You, too. Okay, um, let's see. Who is next? Um, Michelle Parks? Let's call it Michelle. And, and if you're new to this, which I think most people on the list coming up are not new, but two things I'm calling from the future because there's like a 30-second delay, so be prepared. And also, when I do call, turn off your YouTube stream. Hello, Michelle. How are you doing tonight? I'm okay. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I, I love the later time. I don't know about everybody else. Um, I, yeah. I, I'd like to do this this late all the time. Um, also, the kids are already in bed, so I don't have to worry about getting the kids to bed. <laughs> Um, okay. so let me try to find your poem. Is this a eulogy? Elegy. Elegy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, elegy. I just wrote, yeah. I didn't actually study poetry in forms. I took a workshop one semester in college, but I was a party kid, so I didn't make it often. Um, but this poem I cheated with, and you'll recognize it maybe, but I didn't think other people would, but I really just needed a open mic tonight. Uh -huh. So I hope you don't mind. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Go ahead. And, um, let me show, put it on screen for everybody. Thank you. you go. Okay. Go ahead. Whenever you're ready, Michelle. Okay. It's called golf. Love me as though you've never known war. The burning horizons were only a dream. Bodies of your brothers rise from the sea, mating with mermaids who give birth to boys who grow up strong and never bleed. Love me how you want it to be, as though the scars on your cheek were from climbing a tree when you were seven years old, had always been free. Caught a glimpse of heaven just before the fall. Body fully mended, just in time for spring. Love me how it always should be. Fill my womb with your tears. Grant rebirth through me. As though the worries of the world could be damned by great deeds of noble women, untainted by greed. Love me as though we were pure, Naked, unknowing, at the dawn of the earth, immortalized with each touch, each kiss. 
Love me as though death were a lie. Beautiful poem. And that was Michelle Parks reading Golf. Thanks so much for sharing that, Michelle. I, I love the way you read. You always have so much emotion and you let the words speak, which I need to learn how to do. I read too fast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, have a good night. You too. Bye. Okay, let's call up. Um, Caitlin is next. Well, yeah. So, so if you if you if you're at that eight six four number, call me again. I'm not going to call unless you call again because that was we have an hour and forty minutes before the show started. So I don't want to wake anybody up who's not prepared for a phone call. Um, although I think everybody just turns their phone off at night these days, right? Um, maybe not. Maybe that's just me. Um, I right, call up Caitlin Buxbaum. Ah, the delay was much smaller this time. So. Really? Well, good to see you. Let me shrink it because once again, you have a great internet connection. Okay. Right. <laughs> so, so how are you doing tonight, Caitlin? <sighs> I, I have a lot of feelings after <laughs> Courtney's interview um, and poems and and everybody else's too, um, and I I feel super unworthy tonight because I tried. So I really wanted to do this prompt. And I tried three and a half different forms in the last like two days. So oh, wow. I, I didn't give myself enough time. Um, so this isn't my most wonderful work, I don't think, but I tried. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a the Welsh Rupunt? Yeah, so it's spelled Rupunt, but I saw that it was pronounced like Creepent or something. Yeah. Creepent. Well, I am I like know. the most um, ignorant person in the world, so I'm sure that's true. <laughs> Um, but because it's because of the Welshness, I don't know. I, I I don't know anybody who's Welsh or know anything about that. But I thought a Welsh title for this poem was appropriate. So, um, and again, I'll probably butcher the pronunciation. I think it's uh, Paiduk Ag Aros, um, and it means "Don't wait." So, and, and can, you, can you explain uh, the form a little bit, just so people can know what they're looking at when they when they do it? Yeah. Oh, and another thing I wanted to mention is just that. I have been writing poetry for a long time, like informal and informal settings. So it was hard to find a form that I hadn't done already. Oh, really? And all that's left is the hard ones. <laughs> so, um, so this form, there's two versions of it. I don't know if people can see that on the screen. I don't think it'll all fit at once, but um, you can write them two different ways. So the there are four line stanzas, oh. so quatrains, mm -hmm. and they're only four syllables per line so that's not a lot to work with and the so the first three lines rhyme and then the last line uh has the same rhyme for every stanza um so people will be able to see that but you can also rewrite it as each of those four line stanzas is one line mm -hmm. so it's a this my poem would be a five line poem with longer lines so i i showed the longer version at the bottom just in case people yeah, wanted that reference. That's, that's interesting. And, and all these syllabic forms make me realize, you know, reading submissions, there are probably a lot of poems that are in form that I have no idea because I, like, you don't yeah. hear it when you read. That's the thing that I, that kind of bugs me about syllabic forms is that it's like, you know, to, to me, a poem is very audio, you know, you hear the music of it. And so syllabic's just... That's not how speech works. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. but there is a lot of rhyme in this yeah, one too. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, so yeah. Go ahead whenever you're ready. This is. Uh, I'm not even trying to say what it is, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, the English translation is "Don't okay. wait." 
A waning moon would just as soon sing you a tune as wait for love to swell your chest at fate's behest. She does not rest as God above all mortal souls whose patience doles not warm but cold death and blood. So wait not long for that sweet song to which belongs the night's lone dove. And do not mind the path behind. You will not find him there, my love. Oh, that was great. I like that form a lot, actually. Well, very well done. Thanks. I also, the last thing that I was just going to say is that when I was trying these Welsh and Irish forms, I found myself, um, like, gravitating towards a more, like, medieval style of speech. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what it <laughs> is about these short rhyming forms that drive me to, like, speak like someone from 500 years ago. But yeah, it's like, it's what you've heard, you know, you've only heard poems like this yes. in those forms. So it feels right. But, but yeah, yeah, you could, it just, it's such a, it is a strong form. You can really feel it. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Caitlin. And, and good to learn about that form too. Yeah. Thanks okay, for having me. Bye. Let's see. So next up we will have, <laughs> um, Jess D says, I have a short stinky poem <laughs> guessing that smell if we get time. Let's see, let's see Jess's short stinky poem, and I gotta f I have to find. Hey Jess, um, you there? So how are you doing tonight, Jessica? <laughs> it's good now. <laughs> um, I am, I'm doing really well. I appreciate this late night uh, rattlecast. It's um, I don't know. It it carries me into the many hours I'm gonna stay awake. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, if too many people say that, I'm just going to change the time to um, to like midnight <laughs> because I, I like late at night. Um, yeah. It's really fun to do. I I just need to like take up smoking or something so I can have the room full of full of smoke or something. Um, cigars, a specific kind of smoking. Exactly. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I can die of COPD like Art Bell. Um, so what was your form? What, what was your form uh, that you wanted to, to share? Um I am going to butcher how you probably actually say it, but it's a treo chair, T R E O. Treo chair. No, I'm just kidding. I, I have no, no idea. I'm no, just no, messing no, with you. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> it's an Irish form, and um, so that you know, I feel like there's some funk on it probably, but um, it's any number of terse sets, and the uh, it's also a you know goes by syllables, so it's three and then seven seven per each tercet and not only that uh the first and third lines have to rhyme and it needs to be packed with alliteration oh, so wow. it's super <laughs> a pain in the ass <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it yeah and it's a stinky poem um it's, yeah <laughs> um yeah it's interesting how many how many syllabic did you say it was irish or welsh which one did you irish say? Irish, yeah, the Irish and Welsh just love their syllabics. Apparently, I, this is news to me. I did not know. Okay, well, go ahead whenever you're ready. Guessing that smell, a tray of <laughs> chair. <laughs> All right, guessing that smell. What's that smell stinking up my surroundings, wafting so awfully well? Where and why, and what will I discover? Decidedly, it's not I. Could it be moldy meat or funky feet? Oh, odor, quit killing me. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> no, it's great having some light verse. I, I love I love uh, getting to laugh at, at some poems. Thanks so much for sharing that, Jessica. Yeah, thank you. Have a good night. <laughs> you too. Okay, um, who is next? These are really good poems. These are a lot of fun. Um, 
when I when I saw the the prompt for this week, I thought, oh no. But actually, um, I'm liking these. Let's see. Let's do. Um, let's. We have Brent. We have Richard Westheimer. We have um, a seven seven four. Let's do the seven seven four number and see who that is. Let's see who sent me some poems? Maybe Sally Dunn, perhaps. Hey, this is Tim with Rattle. Did you want to share a poem for the for the prompt this week? Yes, I did. And who am I talking to? Sally Dunn. Ah, that's what I figured because uh, it's the one person uh, I didn't have on my list by name. Um, so, what was your form, Sally, that you used today? Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce the form right, but it's a uh, Sistina. Yeah, Sistina, exactly. It's a French form, and it's it's basically uh, you got. Uh, six words and you got to repeat those words at the end of each line and it goes in a different order like you know, it's one two three four five six and then it's six one five two four oh. three you know and- you know what i never knew that i thought you could just do any old random order you wanted so here i am a professional poetry editor and i did not know you're supposed to go in order like that but i see if um you have it laid out in the number and, and i would have to check sustenance from now on I never knew that you're supposed to do it. So it goes one, two, three, one through six, and then starting with six. Interesting. That is complicated. Yeah, I, I, I'd never even heard of it either. But it <laughs> well, I've heard of Sistina's. The- we published a bunch, including one. There was one by Kim Adonizio in that issue um, in the spring. But I never knew that the words had an order. I thought it was just like a random, you got to fit these six words in. <laughs> so No, you, no. And it's. It, it's an interesting form. And the one thing I liked about the form is you don't have to count meter or syllables or mm-hmm. feet or anything because I'm terrible at that. So. <laughs> okay, well, go ahead. It's ready. Whenever you're ready, let, let's hear it. Okay. Um, in strolled the cat. Out galloped the dog. Up flew the bird. Solid stood the tree. Bored watched the sky. Around roiled the earth. The sky cradled the earth. The children chased the cat. The earth basked in the sky. I played with a dog. The one-armed man sat in the tree. The collector stuffed the bird. The student cataloged the bird. The sky tossed a meteor at the earth. The one-armed man fell from the tree. The children skinned the cat. I was bitten by the dog. The earth spit ash at the sky. The sky threw rocks at the earth threw rocks at the sky. A drawer closed on the bird. I chased the dog. The sky dropped the moon on the earth. The children poked the skinned cat. The one-armed man kicked the tree. The one-armed man howled at the tree. The earth hurled angels at the sky. The children watched vultures eat the cat. Dust, dust coated the bird. The sky tossed the angels back to the earth. I killed the dog. I dissected the dog. The one-armed man cut down the tree. The arm sprinkled angel feathers on the earth. The earth vomited blood into the sky. The janitor threw out the bird. The children collected the bones of the cat. The earth embraced the dog. The cat's ghost climbed the ghost tree. The sky mourned the bird. 
Oh, that was really cool. The cat's ghost climbed the ghost tree. I love that line. It's interesting how this pushes you forward. Like you started with the, the um, you know, end stop at each line, and then the the form just keeps pushing you forward, making it more and more interesting. Yeah, that was cool. Thanks so much for sharing that. It was Sally Dunn with Sestina. Thank you. Yeah, Good thanks, Sally. Good night. Okay. Um, I think we're just gonna keep going until um, um, we get everybody because. Because the kids are already in bed. So I think I do have to end by two hours. So I think we have 15 minutes still. I think we can get to everybody. Uh, Richard Westheimer, we'll call him up. Richard's a regular. We haven't had him in a while, a couple weeks. Let's see how Richard's doing. Hey, Richard, good to see you. How are you doing tonight? Hey, Tim. Oh, it's complicated. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's a little little tough seeing my fellow countrymen hauled into vans in the streets of some of my favorite did, cities. Did, is something new happening tonight? I've been totally out of the loop all day. Yeah, you don't want to know. Okay, well, I'll, I guess I'll have to look at it after we're done. Um, I don't want to, but I've been avoiding Twitter because the Mets are playing now, and they show the scores, and there's no way to turn off the scores. Ah. So so my that was my one sort of access. I don't watch TV. I get Poetry Spawn on Saturdays, and I get some Twitter, but now I'm not even getting Twitter, so I don't even know. Maybe I don't want to know. Yeah. Um, no. Let me find uh, you. You'll, you'll see in my poem. You don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, so what was your form? Was this the opening day 2020? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, th- this form is a bop only I, ex- uh, so a bop is a poem. It's uh, three verses um, where they, they progress from um a problem that is is presented an exploration of the problem then either a failure to resolve the problem or a resolution and there's supposed to be a refrain in between each and i wrote the poem first with the refrain and then i decided i like the poem better without it oh yeah interesting so i cheated <laughs> well that's totally fine you know it's the, the point is to be inspired by um to do something different and um so that worked either way regardless of how much you stick to it i it's another form i hadn't heard of before and i was looking at it on that list i guess it starts with b so it was near the top but um yeah that's cool so okay go ahead whenever you're ready this is opening day 2020 and one one other note i tried to write a golden shovel which i wrote about and seen some that i liked but you get stuck with these weird words like the wrong uh, pronouns at the end of sentences and things like that that just make the poem fall apart and that you have to push into. So it's yeah. harder than it looks. It, it definitely is. And then, and then a lot of times that like tricks you into doing something you wouldn't have tried otherwise. That's like the trick of, of form is that it forces you to like explore different possibilities that you wouldn't have reached at before, I think. Um, so opening day 2020, let's hear. Yeah, here we go. I've not listened to a ball game since the before times, 1999, I think. But now, from my bunker, I long for the crack of the bat, for beer ads and play-by-play. So I reach for the radio. I have no radio. I say, hey, Siri, play the game. I look to Alexa. I surf the web. And all I find are pictures of the hometown boys decked in red, performing before fake crowds like vaudeville song and dance men. I sink in some vanishingly small loneliness, miss something 
I didn't know I've longed for. I've been zombie reading Twitter rants, Zoom bombed my own meetings, stared through the screen as if it were some Nicene icon, peered at others' dining tables, into their bedrooms, those places of earthly delights, now the designated hitters for pressing the flesh. So I need that ball game, the crowd noise, a radio, please. I hear you. That was opening day 2020. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. That's kind of ironic that, that I brought that up without even knowing. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So Siri responded to me ringing the poem, reading the poem. Oh, really? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, um, thanks, Jim. Yeah, good, Bob. Thanks for sharing that, Richard. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Okay. Um, let's see. We have, I want to make sure I get to everybody. We have Brent and Cameron Gray. Let's do, oh, and there was a poem that I promised I would read. So let me do that before I forget, because I am a forgetful person. Now, this next poem, um, this was uh, Maria Alberg, and she asked uh, if I would read it for her. She says, I'm so glad I showed up for David Romfett last week. Great show. I enjoy exploring forums and was inspired by some new ones I found on the Writer's Digest list. I spent some time with the Kuwith Laws Gurnag, uh, you can, and... Uh, <laughs> and wrote something I like. I would rather you read this attempt, if that's okay with you. Um, so she's watching on YouTube now. And you can find her at experiencewriting.com, I guess. So this is Summer Weekend by Maria L. Berg. Um, oops, not that one. Summer Weekend by Maria L. Berg. She speaks ill as I choose rest, away from all her unknown guests, her weekly test, Social prod pushing further to move my lines, my inaction to sharpen tines, her tongue reminds longer rod. We flounder at this lakeside house, burning with fire we cannot douse, the secret gouges, sown reward, leaving behind the sweat of clothes, the slick green slime between our toes, yet cling to those loathed jabs scored. A boat aflame might break in half, Reeve from the pain in my left calf. Indistinct laugh echoes end when laughed at me who can but hear her ill intentions daylight clear. She thinks I fear soon to amend. Interesting. That was a great summer weekend poem. I just, I love formal poetry. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> these are just great. That was Maria Alberg reading her uh, summer weekend and, and, I love meter and rhyme and form. I wish we had more submissions that did that. Um, okay, now let's call up. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Maria. Let's see. Let's do Cameron Gray. I think we have two left. We have Brent and Cameron. We have eight minutes before the the two-hour YouTube limit or whatever, iTunes limit. Let's call up. Oops, I think I called. Let me see. Cameron Gray. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, she's over the phone. That's the thing. Let's do Cameron Gray. I added people's uh, names so I can know who I'm actually calling a little bit. Hello? Hey, Cameron. It's Tim Lee Did you want to share the uh, Tuesday prompt poem? Oh, this was the, uh, the really fun little the erasure. Picture. The picture. Yeah. The picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is really cool. Um, yeah, I'll put it on screen and then you can read it. Um, do you want to say anything about the form? I think it, it's something we actually had an erasure as a prompt by me like three months ago or something. Um, do you want to explain what an erasure is, just for people who don't know? Um, it's 
just where you take something that wasn't a poem and you black it out to leave a poem in in a, you know you leave you leave a poem pretty much uh-huh. yeah but um i i looked around at video game cartridges and deodorant bottles and then i couldn't find anything cool and then i just looked at the prompt again and it came to me <laughs> Very cool. So it's it's on screen now if you want to read it. It's really short. Okay. Next week's prompt. Write. You've never tried before. Compile a great list. Digest. Write better for poets. (laughs) That is great. I really enjoyed that. I read that like a week ago or or when you sent it. And um, that is a really fun one. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Good night. Night. That was Cameron Gray, and that's Cameron with a K, by the way. Um, and Gray with an E. Let's see. So I think we have one last poet to call in. Let me make sure I haven't missed anybody on the list. Yeah, we got that. We got that. We got that. Okay. Let's do Brent. Hey, Brent. How are you doing tonight? I am doing great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I can't see you yet if you want to click the camera. If you don't, that's fine, too. Um... How's here, this? Here you come. Yep. Just me. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. We're here. Yeah. Awesome. So, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing great. Um, what a fun night it's been. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Every night the, is, but the, yeah, the, good stuff tonight. The, the initial uh, uh, interview was great, and um, I'm really um, surprised by the strength of, of all these form poems. Yeah, me too. And I, hopefully it like encourages people to write in form more because uh, I love form. So um, oh, what what is the form that you yeah. did today? Well, I did Persa Rima. Uh-huh. Um, it's, uh, it's not very exotic. I was really knocked out by the different forms that I'd never heard of that we've heard tonight. Um, but since I don't write in form, it mm-hmm. was easy for me to find one yeah, I hadn't done yeah. before. Uh-huh. Yeah, this so, is a good form. I like Persa this a lot. Rima. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I um, uh, have been. I, I read it, but now I'm listening to to Stephen. Um, I want to say Stephen Pinker, but that's not right. Stephen uh, Pinsky, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Robert, Robert Pinsky. Pinsky, yeah, Robert uh-huh. Robert Pinsky. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, translation of of Dante's Inferno, and he translated it. I mean, of course, it's written in Terza Rima, mm-hmm. Rima, yeah, yeah, and um, and he translated it that way too. And the audiobook is amazing. It's got um, him reading it. Uh, Seamus Heaney takes they take oh, turns cool. I didn't reading know that. cantos. That's cool. Yeah, and and Louis Louise Glick mm-hmm. and and some other really fine poets who are also fine readers. And um, yeah, we interviewed Pinsky shortly yeah, after I, that came out, and I remember he kept saying he really wanted to drive home the point. There was the shortest translation of that. Ever. He was very proud <laughs> that he condensed it as much as anybody ever had. Yeah. <laughs> it's extremely readable, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. And um uh and then and then when I was looking up when I decided to do a, a Terza Rima, I looked it up and there's uh something called a Terza Rima sonnet. And so I, I figured I'd try one of those. Um usually they end in a couplet. Um but I wrote what I thought was the penultimate line. And thought, oh no, wait, that's that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Right can make it. <laughs> so you can always make it your own. That's the power of being a poet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah. let's hear it. This is the author decides against an okay. expedition. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
the author decides against an expedition. The things I had to say are in the deep end of the pool. They wave like the raging hair of a drowned menad. The bright tresses bend with the wake of unseen kids kicking up for air. Twenty years languish between the top of the water and the rounded blue floor, obscuring what's there. Long, blurred shadows swim slowly past each other, gliding in great circles like dreaming sea serpents. To disturb them seems treacherous. What unborn daughter might lift her pale head to see a diver at such depths? Very cool. That was the author decides against an expedition. I, I love that the choice too, and then that one line. There's something about like doing rhyme and then like stopping that that adds power yeah. to it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. That was Brent Stauffer. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good. To, good to see you again. Thanks yeah. So much. Yeah. Appreciate right. it. Have a good one. Bye. Okay. So that I think that was the last person on the list. Um, let me double check because I don't want to miss anybody. Okay. Yeah. So we're good to go. Um, yeah. Thanks everybody. It's been a great night. Um, I, I was a little worried about the time being too late, but apparently it wasn't. Uh, don't worry. We're always going to be doing nine o'clock though. I think as much as I would like to do it later, it's hard to ask poets regularly to um, do it that late at night, especially when most people, you know, the majority of our um, the poets we interview are on the East Coast of the United States. So um, so nine o'clock is kind of the latest. And then six o'clock on the West Coast is um, a good time where people are home from work, usually back in the day when people went to work because it wasn't social distancing. Now, um, next week's prompt is right here write a poem about a greek god or goddess so that's megan's prompt for next week write a poem about a greek god or goddess and when was it recently we interviewed a poet we talked about greeks oh it was, it was ron kirchie because he has a book about sort of modernizing the greek gods and um um i'm trying to remember the name of the book i can't remember but um yes yeah, so we we're talking about greek gods and goddesses and how i don't really know many so this will be an interesting opportunity to um to explore and learn a little bit more from me personally about a new Greek god. Hope you enjoy that prompt. Once again, that is write a poem about a Greek god or goddess for next week. Now, um, that is it for our show today. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I certainly did. Great poems on the open mic. Great poems for Courtney Campa. Uh, once again, her book was Our Lady of Not Asking Why. Uh, you can check her out at CourtneyCampa.com. Uh, like Courtney, K-A-M-P-A. Dot com. So check out her book there. Now, um, next week's guest is going to be James Ragan uh, and his new book, The Chanter's Read. Now, James Ragan is um, really a, a poet who's very dear and close to us at Rattle. He, I'm not sure if I have the story completely right. Um, my understanding is that Alan Fox met James, James Ragan on a cruise like in the early 90s and they just happened to like start talking and James is the um or at the time was the um, head of the MFA program at USC and and Alan happened to mention that he'd always loved poetry and wanted to be a writer more and he, he'd gone into real estate and was a lawyer and things like that and um and James Ragan convinced him to come to the uh MFA program or technically the MPW, Masters of Professional Writing Program, that uh, James Reagan was the director of at the time. 
and for like 25 years. He was also the director of the program when I went there. So I have my master's in professional writing, which I think is actually pretty cool because um, I think professional writing looks better in a resume than uh, fine arts, to be frank about that. Um, but James Reagan is one of the most um, elegant poets, I would say. Um, just listening to him read, and he has them all memorized, and um, they're beautiful, beautiful poems. So um, really looking forward to this. James Reagan next week, August 4th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And I will see you then. Hope you have a great night. Good night.